this is Lionel. Welcome to an episode of uh, Wake Up Calls with one of my favorite, favorite beings on the planet, David McLeod. We are going to be doing a simulcast here. So this is going to be kind of interesting. We are going to be um, doing a live on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining me here. Yes, yes, I love that. So glad that uh, getting David on here. And then we're going to also be at Learn It Live. So this is a, a double whammy for our audience. And today for this wonderful episode, we are going to explore what is truth. Hey, David. Hi. <laughs> I've never I've never tried to uh, simulcast on two different platforms before. This is this is interesting. So for people who are watching, I'm, I'm looking, I've got two different cameras here going and I think uh, Lina does too. So it may look like we're not looking at you, but we're really, we're trying to pay attention to everybody. So uh, my name is David McLeod. I am your life mastery coach. I am also the author of the book, A Life to Die For, and uh, one of the co-authors of the best-selling series, The Wellness Universe Guide to Complete Self-Care. Um, this... Uh, I've been I've been having a dream about doing this kind of a training or not a training so much, but uh, wake up call kind of conversations with Lina for a while. It, it just came to me. And so I contacted Lina and we talked about it and we decided we're going to just do it, see what happens. And hopefully we can help do our part anyway, I hope, to maybe reduce the level of uh, uh, collective ego in the world and start to raise the level of of collective consciousness. So that's, that's our objective. And uh, not a not very big one, you know, just just massive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's it's always fun to have these conversations with you, because no matter what, it definitely expands my consciousness. And if you hear a little sound in the background, my sweet little puppy, Sandy, she is chewing on a big bone, and she is going to town on it. And that bone falls from her bed. Well, now she wants to, to do the live here with me. So here's Sandy, girl. Oh, what a, what a beauty. <laughs> and uh, I, she is. Yeah, I wasn't noticing the dog so much, but I noticed that you, I think your your speaker came back on on your on your phone. Mm. So if you can just reduce the volume of, of that one, then we won't have that uh, that echo happening. All right. I've got it totally reduced. So now that's better. I don't hear it anymore. No, because it kicked you off of uh, <laughs> of Instagram. I, whatever I pressed, pressed something and it stopped it. You know what I'm going to do? Oh, there it is. Back live. That's very strange. That so is anyway, we, we decided on a topic of we want to look you know, at truth. You know what? There is This is a delay on Instagram now. So let me turn Instagram off and we're just going to do it through here. Okay. And we will we will play with that another day. Maybe I just need to have a headset um, to to allow for that to be uh, more seamless. So, okay, it was a good idea. No, I think it's a great idea. Let Let's get to Until our. We get enough cameras. We could we could be on multiple platforms all at once. It could be really awesome. It will be really <laughs> awesome. So, yeah. what is truth? What is truth to you? Well, now that is a really, really good question because I, um, I remember I used to have my own idea of what truth is, um, especially when I was very much stuck in my ego. I'll, of course, anything I believed was truth. Uh, that was what my ego wanted to wanted to believe. And anything that that you believed that disagreed with me was clearly not truth. Uh, <laughs> that was that was kind of the way I operated. And and I think a lot of people um, still operate that way. What I've come to learn over the years is that my perspective is just my perspective. Um, and how I see things certainly is true for me, you know, or whatever word we want to use there. It, it seems to be correct and accurate for me, but it may not necessarily be the same for somebody else. I remember, I think one of the, the simplest little exercises that somebody did really just it, it flipped me in terms of perspective where someone showed this he had he had an object in his hand and he would show it to you and say what do you see and i would say i see a basketball 
And he'd say, well, no, this is actually the small town of whatever, uh, Georgia, let's say. And then he, I would say, what are you talking about? And he'd flip the ball around the other way. And, he, and it was like one of those snow globe things on the other side, you know? And he said, see what I mean? And I said, oh, yeah. So what, what seemed true to me is, is completely different from what you see as truth. And so that's kind of where I, where I went on that little journey. And, and as a result of that, I, I still don't have a complete answer to what I think truth is. But I do know that it's it's definitely changed my perspective. Well, same same for me because I I was really clear when I was all up in my ego that I knew the truth and the truth was what I believe was true, period. And I was very quick to defend uh, what I didn't realize until I started this journey is that I was always defending a perspective. I was always defending a point of view. I never knew the truth. And this journey brought me to the place of realizing that not only did I not know the truth, but everything that I thought was true was actually untrue. And to wrap my mind around, I've got to do a full 180. And, and, and it's been a journey of, of in, in essence, deleting, erasing, whatever metaphor you want to do on learning all of what I thought was true and go through the very oftentimes extremely painful part of acknowledging to myself, oh, I was wrong about the truth. <clears throat> what I thought was true wasn't wasn't even really true. So that has been a major, major big aha for me. Oh, bless you. I totally, I totally agree. Now, you know, when you when you ask the question, what is truth to you? I do believe there is such a thing as absolute truth. However, because of the nature of our physical experience on this planet and our limited perspective, in our current form, we don't have the right tools to be able to see everything that makes up absolute truth. So to go back to my little example of that, the ball where on one side it looks like a, um, a basketball and on the other side it looks like a snow globe. Well, both of those are true. And in the, in the, if we're, you know, just to, for a metaphor, it could represent absolute truth. And the point is, if you can shift your perspective, then you can see different aspects of absolute truth, but you may not be able to see all of it at the same time. Now, once you, you elevate your consciousness to a high enough level and become one with all that is, then I believe you probably can see absolute truth and experience it too. But right now, in our limited human forms, we're not going to be able to do that. So right at this moment, it's more of a concept than an actual experience. And, you know, one of the beautiful things that I've learned through the Course in Miracles is that we can, in physical form, have these transcendent moments where we experience absolute truth. And, you know, Jesus was one of those beings. Buddha was one of those beings who had that that experience and they were able to integrate their own mind into the living as that absolute truth. So I had an experience in 2007 when I was for in 45 minutes of nothing but knowing the truth of all that is. And of course, it totally blew my mind. There was there was in that moment, there was no line now. There was just an, an experience, as you said, it's an experience of all knowingness. But the minute that experience ended, my mind was trying to analyze it and figure it out. And I stayed in a bit of a high, I'm going to say for probably a good week or two of going up and down, going up and down. But every single day with every passing minute, my ego reassembled. And there was the part that was analyzing all that, judging that, doubting that, and activating all kinds of, of um, uh, busyness in the mind that and that was in 2007. That is literally 15 years ago. Until this day, I can tell you that I experienced absolute truth, but my egoic mind has reassembled to the place that I don't live 
as if absolute truth is what runs my life uh, consciously, but mm -hmm. it is what I want to live into. And while I'm in the world, the best that I can do is not be of it because I know absolute truth, but I don't, it's not, it's not my live practice because I still have that conditioning, that, that relative truth that I am, I am sorting out, which is a beautiful thing because I have a contrast. It's almost like, um, you know, when you experience true love and I've, I've, I've loved many men in my life. I mean, I've had that experience with quite a few men, but there's been one where I felt that unbelievable, unconditional, total love for, and I can contrast all other relationships to that one because I've never felt that exact same total and complete knowingness of what unconditional love was, what true love with a partner was, but I've got the contrast that it lets me know what to live into with other partnerships. And, um, and that's what, what that absolute truth did for me. And then we can talk about, you know, what, what does knowing absolute truth, what, what does that open you to? Cause that's a whole total, totally different uh, journey. Um, oh, I know. And, and that's the beauty of these conversations. We never know exactly where they're going to go. We start with a question and we see where it leads us. And I really like that. <clears throat> it gives us the freedom to, you know, investigate different ideas. And um, I want to go to something that you said. You said when you had that experience of, uh, of knowing absolute truth, that experience that it, you said it blew your mind. And I love that experience because that's precisely what happens. The mind just blows up. It's gone. And all you have left is is kind of knowingness mm -hmm. rather than uh, an analysis, you know, and and uh, <clears throat> bliss. And like it, I, I've had a few experiences like that, too. I don't think I had one that, that lasted quite that long, but I've had the experience of the, the visceral experience of being one with all it is. And it's a beautiful, beautiful experience, something that I'm always seeking to reconnect to, you know, yeah. and I think that's what you said. That's what you're doing. You're, you're trying to, you know, you do your part to kind of quiet the ego mind, just to kind of get back into that quiet space and just allow yourself to be rather than to be thinking, rather than to be doing, rather than to be trying, efforting, uh, yeah. all that stuff. But, you know, if you can just be, Everything else just kind of magically becomes what it is. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, in in that experience, what was so beautiful about it is that it's a moment of transcending. You literally end the trance. To me, that's what to transcend. That that became really clear. Oh, I like that. Is to trance ending. Very good. Ending. So <laughs> for a moment, the trance of the ego stops. Actually, that's gonna, that's one of the titles of my book trans end um so with a hyphen in the middle so the minute that we uh, that i experience that leaving the trans all that was possible was to be present and in that presence and i'll tell you what oh it makes me want to cry it was so beautiful David, the the experience was so beautiful. What I was connecting with, what I was in relationship with in that moment was so utterly beautiful, so enveloping of, of everything. It's like the best word, and I'm going to use words to describe something that is not possibly describable because it's as if I melted. There was no line there. There was a total merging. So what I was, it just it just stops in in the presence of that all encompassing love and beauty and and knowingness of the safety that we are being held inside of. It's it's as if who you think you are melts away and then you merge. And in that merging with with the all that isness what what became really clear for me is that i am an aspect of that and they're not different it, it's not different it is the all that isness but all that isness needs all the little is to to 
come together and be part of this whole, it's like pieces of a puzzle. Right, and, right, right. I like that. I've never thought of myself as a little is before, but thank you. <laughs> we That's is, great. baby, we is. <laughs> we is, we is, is. That's right. Yes, yes. Uh, and that, that's beautiful. That's, and you know, there's another thing here that, uh, you know, you were talking also about this experience of unconditional love that you had. And one thing I have learned, and I, I really truly believe this is true, is that unconditional love is a choice. You know, it's a choice we can make. I can make that choice to love even those things which my ego mind finds unlovable. And it, it, it takes some energy and some effort to let the ego mind go quiet and to say, I understand you have judgments about that. That's, that's okay. You've got those judgments and I know where they came from. And I love you anyway, even though you have those judgments. And I also love this thing that you are judging so harshly because I'm making that choice to, to project love into the world rather than anger or fear or hatred or any of those other emotions which are so easy to get it, get into when I'm stuck in my ego. Well, and, and that's, that's a beautiful place to take the conversation because inside of that space, that is what I felt as pure unconditional love. The, 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 it, all that is loves all the, that it has created because it creates it to love it. It, it doesn't know what to do with it other than to, love it because it is one with it. And the closest to that, that I ever experienced was giving birth to my children. Mm. And in that moment, you know, um, you know, you have children and I, I don't know what it's like. Yes, for but I didn't give birth, at least not in yeah. this life. Yes. I, I don't know. Yes. What it's like for a man, but to give birth to a child, the, the most excruciating pain I've ever experienced was during childbirth. And the minute that child is out of you and they place it on your chest, you don't remember your body is in pain. You just are so in, in, in awe that that beautiful being came out of your body that in that moment when mother meets child, you already love it because it's in you. But mm -hmm. now you're getting to experience it outside of you and you get to see this, this incredible being that has been forming in your womb for, you know, nine months um, or however long it is for, you know, the mom that's experiencing that. That's a moment where you transcend the, the trans. You, you are just strictly so in love and all you all you know is it, it can do it doesn't matter what it does you love it no matter what and that's probably as close to a human description which of course only women who have had children can understand so it still mm -hmm. makes it very difficult for all all beings to recognize that moment of pure um transcendence of who you think you are what your body you know is going through and just be focused on, on that unconditional love. And that unconditional love, to me, if I had to say what is ultimate truth, what is truth? To me, truth is that it is where there can be no opposites whatsoever because it is the all-encompassing, all, all that isness. Right. And because it loves all that is, so truth ultimately is that that level of love, that unconditional love. So how did we become fearful, judgmental um, people? That to me is what became the, the essence of my journey. After that experience, I knew that everything else that I experienced, fear, judgment, jealousy, um, shame, guilt, blame, all of that was not the love that I am. And with that clarity became the, the journey was completely defined as to what it was. And it was not to try become what I am, but to reveal what I am by, by recognizing that when I'm in judgment, when I'm in jealousy, when I'm in blame and shame and guilt and fear, it's not who I am. So then comes the, well, where the heck did that come from? You know, why am I jealous? 
why am I whatever? Um, and, you know, obviously it's one of the things that you've done, but you teach it. You teach people how to unravel that. What was your the process like for you unraveling the what you're not? It was a journey for sure. Um, I think uh, the way I the way I frame it, the way I describe it to people is. I think my mother started me on that journey when I was three years old. And she did it. I, I don't know whether this was a conscious thing on her part or whether it was unconscious. It doesn't matter. But she said to me eight words, which I've, you know, I forgot for many, many years. But now that I've remembered it, I don't forget it ever again. But those eight words were very simple, very innocuous. And many people would say they're probably true, too, to use to use the word of the day. But she said, I know you better than you know yourself. She said that to me when I was, I think, three years old. Now, of course, who is my mother when I'm three years old, but probably the most powerful being in my little universe? And, of course, my mom loves me. She's been telling me that all my life. She takes care of all my needs. She would never lie to me. <laughs> so what she said must have been true, you see? And so my little boy mind made that decision at that moment. If, if mommy knows me better than I know myself, then so does daddy. Daddy knows me better than I know myself. And if daddy and mommy both know me better than I know myself, then Grammy and Grampy know me better than I know myself. And my aunts and uncles know me better. And, and pretty soon you can see what I did. I ended up basically saying, everybody knows me better than I know myself. So what do I end up doing? But unconsciously, giving up my own sovereignty, my own individuality, and, and relying on other people for the rest of my, well, for the next 40 years to tell me who I am. And not only to tell me who I am, but to tell me exactly what I want and need. So I became completely dependent. Now, a side effect of this was, I'm not stupid. You know, I had a pretty good mind and I was able to observe things. I saw that other people didn't have to subvert themselves to others. They were able, some people were able to be quite um, independent and quite not rebellious. That's not the word I want to say, but they would, they were assertive. They would make their own choices. So I now started becoming resentful. Hey, how come he can do that? But I can't, you know, these are the silly stories that came up in my head. By the time I was in, in my forties, that resentment and anger had grown so strong that I was basically just full of rage and I didn't know it. So what happened? I had a, I had a rageful incident that suddenly caused me to think, how did this happen? How did I get here? What is going on? Why am I in this place that I am at now? Why am I so angry? And I didn't get the answer immediately, but I had to go through another process of figuring out where all that stuff came from. And it was not until I left my family, went to California and started meeting all kinds of gurus and teachers and workshop leaders and seminar presenters and everything else that I was able to, uh, with their help, understand the belief systems that I had taken on and begin then to reclaim the truth of who I am. And, that, and then I think the biggest wake up point for me, well, not wake up at this point, because I'd already started the wake up process, but my biggest aha happened in 2003 when I did the Mankind Project, New Warrior Training Adventure, and spent on. I went on the carpet and I did this really, really powerful work where I basically unloaded all that rage. And then when I got rid of that, what came out underneath was a huge amount of sorrow. I mean, I was just, I was crying and yelling and I had snot coming out of my nose. I had crap coming out of my eyes. I'm telling you, it was a mess. But when that was done, that's when I had that moment of awareness of I, I was one with every person in that room. And I realized I was one with every person everywhere, not just that room. So that's when it started to happen. And then, of course, you know, I didn't completely understand the whole mental processes that I had gone through. And I'm still learning even today. And that's 20, 2003, I said, so almost 20 years ago that that really happened. And um, yeah, and so 
now I understand that we have we make choices at a very young age that can impact the rest of our lives if we don't wake up and pay attention. And uh, and so that's really what my goal is. And my work is really about helping people to learn and understand the truth of who they really are and that they're not this story that they've made up. They're not the, the roles they take on. They're not their name. They're not their body. They're not their thoughts. They're not their feelings. They are the energy, the, the isness, the amazing beauty that somehow experiences all those things. And our language doesn't give us the words to really describe this in a very good way. So we have to kind of do our best. And I know you and I understand each other. And I'm hoping that the people who listen to this also understand what we're saying. Because it's, it's not easy to, to explain something uh, or to describe an experience that other people may not have had. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that for a very long time, I tried to explain what I went through and, and I realized nobody, nobody got it. And That's right. nobody that I knew got it. It yeah. wasn't until people who had gone through it uh, that I started meeting those people that they began to not to validate what I experienced because I didn't need validation. I know what I felt, but to, to help me better integrate what it meant from uh, the perspective of one who's already integrated that truth. Right. Because once, once we integrate that truth, then we can be in service to the others who are in the process of integration. Exactly. But it is, it's, oh my goodness, you said so many amazing things. Um, you know, you're, you're, the truth that you chose to say, yes, that's who I am. Mom, everybody else knows me better than I know myself. So for me, and and for all these years that I've been coaching, it's the same for everybody. We all have that one story, that one that one decision about who we are that locks us into um, what's not true about us. And for me, I when I was um, you know back then in the days when they didn't have sonograms and things like that. I'm 60 years old now, so a long time ago, my um, my I have a, an older sister. And my, when my mom was pregnant with me, they thought this is the boy. Joseph is going to have a son. It's going to be Joseph Jr. And then out comes Lina and no dingling. I was quite the disappointment. So <laughs> I grew up literally hearing for such a long time, we wish you would have been a boy. We wish you would have been a boy. So my story, what mm -hmm. I said, yes, then there is something wrong with me. And right. And another little angle to that, but it's all the same thing, was I'm a disappointment to people. I'm mm -hmm. not enough. I, I'm not enough. There's something wrong with me. I'm not enough. I'm a disappointment. Well, you begin to, to let that run in the background long enough, which children, of course, they do. Because my parents, as, as wonderful as they were, and I know they loved me, and I know the whole family loved me. They're, they always kept telling the story of, oh, yeah, Joe, you know, Joe wanted a son. And um, and then we got this wonderful girl. Well, th that telling of that story of Joe was disappointed, stayed with me for a long time. Um, yeah. But then to add, it's almost like to add insult to injury. My parents, of course, they were they were stuck with um, a boy name and they took their time to find a girl name and I'm Latin. So my mom was looking through a time life magazine back in the day where they spent a week in the hospital. Um, and then they finally find she's watching, she's reading one of those magazines and some Russian dude, uh, an astronaut had a son and his name is spelled the way my name is L A I N A Lina. And since, um, I got quite a few Russian friends. I've had several tell me, oh yeah, that's a common, you know, name in Russia. Um, relatively, relatively common. Mm -hmm. So because it ended in A and I'm Latin, Lina, like Maria, like uh, Josefina, mm -hmm. whatever, ends in A. So it's a girl name. So not only did I have to hear, oh yeah, Joe wanted a boy. We didn't get a boy, but we got a girl. But oh, by the way, we have a girl with a boy name because it was a boy name. 
So for as long as I could remember, and it was probably 10, 12 years of my life, that story was told ad nauseum. Oh, yeah. So, so where'd you get your name? Well, I'm a, I wasn't a boy and I'm the girl with the boy name. And it was like, uh, so having to unpack where we get what I call our original lie starts the journey of returning to the truth of who we are, because right. that original lie has us cultivate a persona to fit that narrative. And whether it's a victim or or whatever, whatever the story is, you know, I'm, I'm not enough. I have to prove to everybody how I'm not enough. And um, so how how did you make it be true for you that you didn't know yourself? Everybody else knew you, but you didn't. What were some of the ways that you manifested that as your reality? Um. <clears throat> Basically, I think one of the ways I did it was probably some people would classify it as a passive aggressive kind of approach, I would think. Um, like, I wouldn't ever say, I want to have X, Y, or Z for dinner, and I want to go to the movie tonight. I would try to manipulate people by asking them, what would you like for dinner tonight? How does steak sound? You know, I try to get them to make the decision for me, you know, and if they'd say something different, I'd say, okay, well, I, I can go with that. You know, I would just kind of go along with it. And then similarly, if I, if we, you know, want to go out for, for a movie or, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever it was we did back in those days, you know, go out and play cards or whatever. Uh, I would do the same thing. Would you like to go play cards tonight? Would you like to go play cards tonight? You know, I'm trying to get the other person to say yes so that I can go along and 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 be the good guy. That was, I think, my default behavior more than more than anything else. Yeah. How about you? If they wanted to do it, then they know better than you. That's they, right. Then you could say, oh, yeah, I went to the we went to have steak because Bob wanted steak. Um, That's right. They were certain. Yes. Yes. And that kept you from saying, I want to go have steak tonight. Um uh, for for me growing up um with this idea that i was a disappointment i turned into the biggest people pleaser you could ever know i didn't want to disappoint anybody i didn't want anybody to be disappointed with me because when i was 10 years old my dad left my family and my dad just left he found was in love with another woman it wasn't until I was an adult and could have conversations with my mom that I finally realized, well, he left because my mom was a bitch. I'd have left her too if I was married to her. So it made sense. But as a 10-year-old who was not the son, the story in the back of my mind is if I'd have been a boy, dad would not have left us. So people right. leave me because I'm not what they want. Yeah. So not only did I become a people pleaser, but I was a, a clinger. I mean, like I'm sure some of the people that I was friends with or dated or I was clinging. I was, please don't abandon me. Don't, don't abandon me. And then, of course, when I had a couple of abandonments, you know, whether it was a friend didn't want to invite me to their house or I felt the rejection of my mom wanted, instead of taking me somewhere, took a sister, left me home for whatever reason. Once I began to feel a few more episodes of rejection because I wasn't what everybody wanted, then I began to create uh, very, very manipulative. Well, I'll people please you and get you to really like me. But if I get a whiff that you're going to leave me, I'm going to leave you first. Right. Zero skills to work through a conversation and unpack what's going on here. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. It was like, nope, you are not, not going to do this to me. So I'm going to leave you. And yeah. when I look back after I had these awarenesses, of course, my journey started when I was 42. And I had that encounter when I was 47. So it was like five years of being on this journey to try and figure out who I am um, where all my thoughts, my fears, my insecurities came from. And then I meet 
the source of all that is. And I'm one with that. And I'm going, wow. So my whole life, I made up this story that there was something wrong with me because of what they knew better. Because they were the ones who, who right. said I wasn't a boy instead of, you know what? I am who I am as God created me. I am the isness of, of God, but I didn't have parents who raised me consciously to know that who I am has nothing to do with anybody else. Yeah. So I had to basically take myself back to birth. I had to go through a procedure where I was that baby being birthed coming out of the canal. And here I am in all my glorious nakedness. And they see I'm not a boy. Mm -hmm. I am all girl and I am a magnificent girl. And what I am is exactly what creator wanted to create. And it's exactly what my soul wanted to experience in this lifetime. So I had to go through a total complete um, rewriting of my story. And when I say rewrite is to, to write it, to make it right. Instead mm -hmm. of just to rewrite the story, I was correcting the wrongness in my mind. I was rewriting it um, so that it was the right story about me because it was accurate. It, it was my truth. I, I chose to be a girl in this lifetime and then began the relationship with me. That That's when I began to know who to discover who I am, because at, before that, I was just trying not to be who I was because it only disappointed right. people. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Well, Isn't that crazy? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I think this is this is a very common quality of of most human uh, journeys. I think we all try to be something that we are not, as a result of some of the teachings and conditioning that we get as children. I noticed you said that you started this journey when you were forty two. It's interesting to me because. When I had my major wake-up call, the thing that really started this whole thing off for me, I think I was 39 at the time. So we were in the same time frame of our lives. And, you know, we talk about these midlife crises that seem to happen. And maybe that's exactly what they're talking about. It's coming to that realization that what I've been doing up to now doesn't work. Exactly. Something's got to change. Well, so, and so there's that. But I, I love your journey. I think you and I have so many common elements in our in our uh, separate journeys. I mean, we both basically did the same thing. You know, you went more into the people pleaser mode. And I, I think I was doing the same sort of thing, but in a more manipulative way, I think. Uh, that's what I was doing. But, you know, as you were talking, I was wondering, I was going to ask you this question, but I asked myself instead, how many of those old behaviors from before my 40s do I still engage in? Like, for example, the, the, the idea that maybe do I demure and, and let other people make choices and I just kind of go along? Do I still do that? And, you know, the answer is yes, I do. But it's be not because I'm trying to get what I want anymore. It's more because I don't have the same agenda that I used to have. If somebody suggests, hey, I'd like to do this, I am very clear. I'll say, yeah, I'd love to do that with you. Or no, thanks. That doesn't interest me. I am now in that place where I can make the choice. Or similarly, instead of saying, what would you like for dinner tonight? What I'll say is, I'm thinking of making X. How does that sound to you? Yeah. Now I'm making it about me. Would you like to join me for dinner? I'm, that's what I'm going to have for dinner. Hope you'll join me, kind of, you know. Uh, but that's kind of, it. it there's similar behaviors, but there's a, a, a different flavor to them now, you know, and I, I, I've got I've known you now, I think, for probably 10 or no more than 10 years now, I think 10 or 12 years, I think that, that we've known each other. Yeah. And uh, I have a pretty good handle on, on how you show up and. I really like it. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, Oh, and the other thing that I was thinking of as you were talking about going through your process of um, ritually rebirthing yourself, I was thinking, isn't it interesting? Maybe as you were being born and this, you know, this nakedness and showing that you're a girl, that is the start of a really important journey for your father and mother. You know, maybe, maybe they had to experience the 
the process of not getting what you want all the time or something. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what their journey was. And so now I'm thinking, what was my mother's journey in saying those eight words to me back when I was three years old? What was she trying to achieve in her life? So it'd be interesting now to go and do some reflection on that, because as we said at the beginning of this show, truth is really a matter of perspective. Yeah, exactly. And you said a couple of really, really cool things there. But let me touch on the last thing. Um, I don't know my parents' um, side of things because when I started my journey, both of them were, were already deceased. So yeah. a lot of my healing work with mom and dad was really the, it was energetic more, work and energetic completely. Yeah. And, vis and I would visualize them there, and I would say what I needed to say. And in all of those visualizations, it was absolutely beautiful, powerful things happened. Several times I had the opportunity to role play with somebody who played the role of dad. And um, and the, the person who was facilitating that workshop instructed uh, the person who played the role to operate kind of like that, that, you know, mean dad side that I had, alcoholic and unavailable. Um, because actually that person knew that feeling because he was that for his children. So he got to play that side. And I, my, my healing was very different from that side. What was a piece of it? I should say not different. And then she had, uh, the instructor, um, had another person play the role of the gentle, loving father that wasn't really what I was familiar with. And it's like I melted. I melted. My little girl melted. And whoa, how wonderful it would have been to have had my dad be that way. So in those physical experiences, having that contrast was wonderful. But then in my mind, it was all energetic because I had to forgive the alcoholic father who couldn't be present. And I had to actually change my story, rewrite my story, correct it. That dad had a loving side, but he, he couldn't be who he was because I don't know what story he was carrying. I don't know what his lie was. And my mom passed away. Um, it was actually her passing that activated my my journey. So I say she gave birth to me twice, once physically and once spiritually was my spiritual rebirth. Um, but something you had uh, mentioned before you talked about that and okay and it just escaped my mind so maybe it doesn't need to be shared totally totally forgot oh no, we were okay no uh, no i i have these wonderful thoughts come through my head sometimes while you're speaking and then they go away <laughs> oh, you, you know what I did, yeah what i did want to share is i, I just mm -hmm. remembered it yeah because this was really important for me i became a people pleaser to manipulate people mm -hmm. And once you can be honest about yourself, then came the, well, I'm never going to do anything nice for anybody else because, you know, I, I can't possibly be nice. I'm, an, I'm a manipulator. So I pulled back and I, I withheld actually being myself for quite a while. And it took me a good year or two to realize, you know what, I love doing things for people. And while, when I was married, my former husband, we had a lake house and for six, seven, eight years. And I used to do retreats at the lake house and the number had to be never more than, than eight people. So eight and myself, nine to, to accommodate for bedding and, and space and all that good stuff, even though the house could accommodate more. And when I priced this retreat, I would tell everybody, you're going to have all the meals will be prepared. Everything is going to be done. You arrive, everything's going to be ready. When we're done, you leave. Everything will get cleaned up after you leave. And as my, you know, first groups came in and I had many people who came multiple times, so they knew what I was doing. They knew I cleaned the house and got it ready. They knew I went to the grocery store, got all the food. I cooked everything. I did the bulk of the cleaning unless some of them, and they always did, wanted to help. And I cleaned it up after they left and left the house ready for us to come and enjoy it, you know, whenever we were coming back. And I had somebody who said to me, why do you do all that? I mean, why don't you just hire somebody else? Because I easily could have. But I said to them, for a very long time, I did things to please people so I could manipulate them. I now do what is pleasing to me, and that is to take care of people. And 
it totally switched everything from my heart. I love doing that, but there's no agenda. Nobody ever left these retreats feeling like I didn't help her clean or I didn't help her cook. You know, she's upset with me. She's got that, you know, why aren't people doing? Never. And people said, I it feels so good to come. And you know what was so amazing is that many people, because back to your point, we don't know what other people's lessons are, but I had so many of these people who came to these retreats who said to me, I never let myself receive. I just had a healing experience because of your insistence in doing everything. Because I would tell them, only help if you want to. And some people would say, well, I really don't feel like it, but I feel obligated. And I'm like, then don't honor that part of you. <clears throat> and it was so amazing how I get to do things for other people, but it's because it pleases Lina. It is all about me. And, and that is so liberating that I have that much love to give. And there's no agenda. It's not sticky. It's not trying to, you know, it's not manipulative and it's just powerful. So what, what do you, you, you know, you talked a little bit about that. Now you share what you want. Hey, I'm cooking this. You want to join me, but what are some other profound um, I'm going to call it a profound freedom. Maybe that's a talk we can use next time. What is what what is freedom? Um, what is that for you? But what profound freedoms did you experience from letting go of everybody else knows what's best for you? <clears throat> that that is still a work in progress. Um, but really, coming to the place of I don't really care what other people think of me or whether they judge me or not. Uh, and in, in doing that, that's probably one of the biggest freedoms that I've given myself. In doing that, I have come to the realization that while my ego mind likes to believe that people are talking about me, thinking about me, making up stories about me and all that, that's bullshit. <laughs> Most people couldn't care less, you know, Sure, you know, they're friendly, they want to be friends and stuff, but most of the time they're so busy with their own stuff, they got their own stories going on, they're not thinking about me at all. <laughs> and that has been a great, a great liberation right there. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about showing up a particular way because nobody cares anyway, you know? And I think that anyone, all of us can learn that, you know? We once we get to the place of being willing to say, this is who I am and this is what I am. And I love all of this. Yeah. Once we get there, then we begin to say, huh. Now, it's not so much I don't I don't give a shit what you think about me. It's more like I do care what you think. And I don't let it influence me to, you know, to, to, to manipulate me to, to become a different kind of person. I'm not going to let you decide how I show up, but I am interested in your feedback and I am interested in your thoughts and your perspectives. Huh? So that's been a shift too. You see, there's lots and lots of tiny little twists and turns that have happened over the years that I just love it all. Oh, I love that. Yes, 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 yes. Well, going back, Back to, to what for me is, is absolute truth is as we've been taught, you know, the creator created us in its image. And to me, the image of the creator is love. That's it. Right. So whenever I'm thinking, you know, I and the father, mother, God are one. I and God and I are one. It's I'm love. That's it. Because that's what it is. So from that place of recognizing that I am love, then the only way we buy into a lie of what's wrong with us or what we're don't know enough about or whatever it is, is because we didn't have models, really good models of people who were in love with themselves because the sense of the father gets passed on to the, you know, to the son, right. to the child, to whatever. And that is as I grew older, not quite when I was already going through my transformation because my parents were gone, but as I was transforming and looking back at their lives, their behavior was, it was you could tell they didn't love themselves. 
you know, if you love yourself, you don't subject yourself to uh, putting up with an alcoholic person who mistreats you. You don't put up with a wife who is, you know, belligerent or, or nasty to you. They couldn't have loved themselves. So they couldn't teach me how to love myself. And when I began to realize, ah, that's what's happening here. Because when I had that moment of transcendence, what was shown to me is that all that that has been created was created out of love to be loved through one who remembers that they are love. So that that clarity that everything is love is one of the reasons that I I so loved discovering the teachings of the Course in Miracles because it tells you very simple everything is either love or a call for love. So if somebody's being fearful, jealous, belligerent, I know shame, feeling shame, guilt. They're calling for love. They just don't know how to be loving. So they they need a model of one who can love them in their in their ugliness, love them in their judgmentalness. And that's what to me you're doing. You know, you can have whatever opinion you have about me. I love me. So I love you. Bring it on. Let me hear what you have to say. Exactly. It resonates and leave what doesn't. But yeah, let's definitely talk about freedom next next time that we do our conversation because. That to me is a key piece that we understand the, the the freedom that opens up for us when we learn the truth of who we are. Yes. You know, you said something there about the Course in Miracles. Everything is either love or a call for love. And that is a, um, I've been teaching that very thought, but in a different way for quite a while. I, I once, you know, with all the work I've done on shadow and, and uncovering and illuminating and healing and integrating shadow, one thing I have learned is that every aspect of ourselves that's hidden in shadow and is still acting out is doing so because it is trying to give or receive love. And so what I have come to say now, I have a, a little simple saying, I say everything, every thought, word, action, and emotion that we experience is motivated at its deepest level by a desire to give or receive love. And that's, so I say basically the same thing as, as the Course in Miracles, maybe a little more wordy, but it's really coming down to uh, an awareness that when, when we are in a, in a state of healthy love, then whatever thoughts, words, action, and emotions we engage in appear to be acceptable to everybody else. But whenever our behaviors appear to be dysfunctional, then even though we're still, you know, trying to find love in a dysfunctional way, find love or give love in a dysfunctional way, then that's considered unacceptable by other people. Yeah. And that's why we tend to push more of that stuff into the background, you know? And so the whole process of uncovering these shadows, mm -hmm. learning what their true motivation is, then you can start to it becomes so easy to love unconditionally when you realize what they're really trying to do. Yeah. And when you have the ability to love your own shadows, i.e. all of the dark parts of yourself, yeah. then you have arrived at a place of unconditional love. Yeah. And it, it, it's like Jesus said, you know, you're told to love your friends, but I say love your enemies. Mm -hmm. And he's absolutely right. You've got to love the things that irritate you the most because that is where healing comes from. You know, if I see something in you, Lina, that, that just pisses me off, that's not about you. That's about me. There is some aspect of myself that that pisses me off and you just happen to reflect it. Mm -hmm. And if we can learn to do that individually and as a collective, man, can you imagine what this world would be like? Well, that's to me where freedom is tied to this conversation, because once we liberate ourselves from from that misinformation that we picked up as children and we let ourselves be loving, we become the change we want to see in the world because exactly. we want a world that's that's more loving and peaceful and kind. Well, how can that world get created if we are, you know, 
calling for love if we if, with our anger with our judgment with our our um you know righteousness with our greed with our our misbehavior so we have to be the one who has to become the loving presence so that we can then understand what a call for love is because then we go oh now i know what a call for love is I miss those signs in my children when they were little. I couldn't see their call for love because I was too busy, you know, letting them know I knew better. And it's, uh, you know, so it's been a a big, big shift. But, you know, that's what I loved about these conversations is that this nitty gritty about what we have experienced individually, to me, leave so many it's like breadcrumbs on the trail for those who are who are walking this path and we're we're just coming here with the desire to share and in this sharing i get to learn so much more about you and you get to learn about me and that just you know it expands my love for you it expands my capacity to to be present to another another little you know isness that is there and and feel that connection so thank you so much for um for reviving our our wake-up calls because that's what humanity's in the middle of it's a big old wake-up call we got to remember the truth of who we are and start living from that just so powerful. yeah and, and now that you've mentioned that i just wanted to to do a little shout out here um, I don't know if you've been paying attention. I'm sure you've you've seen this the story about the this convoy traveling across Canada. Yeah. Do you know that it reached such a huge length that the front end of the convoy was entering Ontario as the tail end of the convoy was entering Manitoba? I have no idea how far that is. So put in perspective. Four hundred and eighty kilometers. Wow. Which is uh, probably what, I think it's just under 300 miles. I don't, you know, I, I can't do the math in my head right off the top. But it's it's something in that neighborhood. And, you know, this thing started out as, uh, you know, three or 400 trucks were going to do it. And then it grew to 1,000. And then it just kept growing. They got over 50,000 trucks. And now there are trucks coming up from the United States. Yeah. to join them. Yeah. So it's expected that there's going to be over 100,000 trucks in in on Ottawa tomorrow at about probably at about this time. Oh yeah, the 29th. <clears throat> wow. And and but I would probably say that's very impressive that many miles, but I heard that they're coming from every corner of Canada. Yep, so there's got to be lots of long stretches of nothing but but I, I know. Well, the reason I'm bringing that up not not because it's just a major event, mm-hmm. but because it signifies what you just mentioned, that we are waking up. We're waking up in a big way. Yeah. If this many people are willing to stand up just against the vaccine mandates, it tells me that there's huge hope for the world, that love is starting to come up, rise up, and demolish the whole uh cabal structure that that exists in the world right now so i'm very very hopeful about that and it just gives me lots of excitement i got goosebumps just thinking about this thing well when i had my encounter with source it was made abundantly clear that uh that is the only outcome for all that is coming because everything unlike love has to dissolve we're transcending that that survival aspect of our of our identity that egoic identity and that's that's what so many people are beginning to realize wait a second i don't have to be so ugly i don't have to be such a bully or such a victim i don't i don't have to be that and so the world is the reflection of this awakening and those truckers are saying hey i'm happy to do my job i love doing my job like me i love taking care of people i love driving my truck i love delivering the goods i like you know spending my time driving this rig from point a to point b coming back empty-handed or coming back with something else i love that so don't tell me what to do with my body because it's not something that i want i love myself enough to know what should be in this body and not so don't tell me what to do and i'll continue to do what i love that's all there is 
That's, That's right. all they're saying. That's right. And I 100% agree with them. Hey, yeah. Me too. I mean, you and I have been on the same wavelength, you know, since this whole pandemic started. And uh, yeah, it's it's been kind of fun to watch things happen and to see little, you know, little little sides of the facade dropping off over here and, and maybe a, a, a bridge falling apart over here and something else falling apart. And we're starting to see the whole structure crumble, you know, and that's beautiful. I mean, when, when, when we finally get back to truth, truth in uh, journalism, truth in, you know, in politicians and all the rest of it. In the medical world and yeah. Once, once, so that's the important aspect of truth in, in the physical world. And I, I'm just so excited because more and more people are saying, no more lies. We're done with lies. Yeah. yeah, because they're done with lying to themselves. They don't want to be lied to anymore. <clears throat> it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yes, this mass awakening is a reflection of the isness that wants to express itself and be, be love. And but to be love, it needs to first remember where it forgot that that is what is true about who we are. Yeah. And that's what we're here for, Lina, is to, you know, just to remind everybody that we're just ordinary humans like everybody else. And we just happen to have had a little bit of experience with some of the growth stuff. And we're just sharing what we've learned. So you can take it or leave it. If it doesn't resonate for you, that's great. If it does resonate for you, that's great too. Please share with us and let us know. You know, that's that's what we'd like. Yes, yes. And if you like this, share it with others and invite them to come join us for these, these beautiful intimate conversations with my brother. Yep. Love you, David. I love you too, Lina. It's been so great.